Cripple Content Creations presents bonus content. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. I want to thank you for clicking on this brand new bonus episode of When I Was a Disabled Kid. So if you're listening and you're like, wait, isn't this a sex podcast? What What is this? So basically, this is a show within a show that I do. There was another show that I started called When I Was a Disabled Kid, where I talked to disabled adults about their childhood. But that didn't really, it wasn't panning out, not going over super well. On its own, on its own separate thing. So I decided to make it a bonus part of this podcast. It's about. It's really the premise is super simple. It's about disabled adults telling me about their childhoods. Um, and I was gonna initially make it part of Patreon.com/slash Crippled Content as like exclusive bonus episodes. But then I decided that most people that listen to this this podcast are disabled and marginalized and may not have the financial ability to donate and I wanted to make sure that everybody could hear the show so I've decided to just fuck it whenever I have a show produced I will Beyonce style drop the episode into the feed and put it there for your listening pleasure and that's it that's basically what this episode is going to be today if you are financially able to support the show though I would appreciate it if you head over to patreon.com slash crippled content and pledge a dollar a month. This will mean that you will get episodes early and you'll get a shout out on the air from me where I use a pun to make your name. It might be sexual, it might not be sexual, um, but where I thank you officially on the air for pledging a dollar. And that's the most successful thing I, I can offer right now. Because merchandise is expensive, I tried all the things, and and the most successful thing I can offer is stuff I can do digitally. So head over there and pledge a dollar if you can. Otherwise, here's a bonus episode for you, and let me tell you all about it. This bonus episode is a really fun When I Was a Disabled Kid, where I talk to writer and producer and author Wendy Liu, who lives in New York, and she lives with a trach. And we talk about her childhood living with a trach and kind of what that was like for her dealing with having nursing care 24-7 as a teenager, some hilariously scary and near-death experiences she had as a kid, um, her kind of her kind of finding independence while being a kid, trying to make friends while being disabled. All that stuff is explored and it was really fun to chat with her. And I hope you enjoy the bonus episode. Here it is. Hey, Wendy Lou, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing good. How's it going with you, Andrew? Good. I'm so happy to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on this very this this special Patreon exclusive episode of yeah. when I was a disabled kid. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. So thank you for having me. Anytime. Uh, and we we talked initially, like we talked a few a few months ago. We did the same interview, but then. <laughs> My computer 
fucked up and things <laughs> things got destroyed. And so thank you for, for making the time again. Um, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Wendy Liu. I'm a journalist, uh, writer, editor, and producer based in New York City. Um, I write about disability, politics, culture, uh, you name it. Um, and yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Should I say like what my disability is? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> um, and also... Uh, so I was born with vocal cord paralysis, um, and I wear a tracheostomy tube around my neck. Um, I've had it for my entire life. I'm 26 years old, uh, and so yeah, just I've uh, been a uh, I've had it my entire life. Awesome. Um, so when I asked you to come on the show, you one of the very first things you said you wanted to talk about with regards to your disability and your youth and your childhood was kind of growing up with nurses following you 24-7. And I remember reading that being like, whoa, that's intense because I have care like five or six hours out of the day. And I often find that can be sometimes a lot for me. What was it like for you kind of growing up with nursing care all the time? Yeah, um, growing up with, the, with nursing care uh, was, I mean, I was the only uh, person I knew that had a nurse who accompanied them uh, just all the time. So um, pretty much 24-7, I had a parent or a nurse or other sort of like qualified adult to be with me to help me if I needed something. Um, so uh, essentially, I had a nurse at school. Um, and then after school was over, uh, I had a nurse, uh, a home care nurse, um, who picked me up and brought me home and stayed with me until my parents came uh, came back from work. Um, and so, and uh, I think, um, I mean, obviously now, uh, so now I, I live and work in New York City on my own. I'm completely independent. Um, and so I moved here when I was about, I'd say like 22 or so, I moved here for graduate school. Um, and that was the very first time when I, you know, didn't have uh, anybody with me. And so it was a huge contrast to how I grew up uh, because, again, I had someone with me all the time, um, which, uh, yeah, it, I don't know, it, it helped me uh, in a lot of ways. It taught me um, sort of, uh, sorry, I, I, I think I, um, I lost my train of thought. It's so um, yeah, sorry. Is there like a follow-up question that yeah. you had about like specifically about that yeah, growing I, up? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I can. I, we can do that. Um, <laughs> so tell me about kind of like like t- just tell me. So so growing up with care with care twenty four seven. You did it make you feel more secure? Did you like it? Were there moments where you hated it? What was that like for you? Um, there were times, there were definitely times when I, um, not necessarily resented it, but felt very self-conscious about it, uh, because, um, so I didn't, I wasn't in a class with other disabled kids, um, I was in the class with, like, everyone else, um, but it was very, so it was very noticeable that I had a nurse with me all the time, and oftentimes, like, other kids would say, oh, like, why does Wendy get to have, you know, like, get special treatment, quote-unquote, um, in the form of, you know, like, extra breaks in class, or getting to, 
um, go to the bathroom more because I needed to, you know, clear out my drink tube with my, with my nerds or whatever. Um, and so I think it made it more distinct that I had a disability, um, that I was different, uh, quote unquote, from everyone else. Um, but other kids still didn't necessarily like understand what that meant. You know, they only, they only saw it with their eyes, but they didn't like, you know, actually like, know get it. why. Yeah. 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 They didn't get it. And so, um, uh, which was interesting because like, I remember, uh, at one point in sixth grade, actually it was at the very beginning of sixth grade, my teacher, um, asked me to go up in front of the class to be like, Hey, you know, I, we think it'd be great if you could like go up and sort of talk to the kids about your disability, about who you are, uh, why you need a nurse. The, um, the worst. Which was like really awkward. So awkward. Like, hey, Wendy, you <laughs> stop your life and like be the one to have to say all these things in front of all these kids that won't get it. Like, go ahead. Right. Like, be the one to educate everyone else about uh, this. Like, which, 12 years yeah. old, you were 12. Like, I don't want to educate you. I want to be a kid. Like, leave me alone. Yeah, I think, like, on one hand, um, uh, it was, I think at the time, I found it a little bit exciting because it was like, oh, like, before then, nobody had ever really asked me for my personal experience or my opinions about myself. So in that way, it felt a little bit, um, like, nice. But then, like, when I actually went up, you know, in front of everyone and, you know, in hindsight, when I think back on it, it was just kind of awkward and you know the the implications behind it is like hey like you're the disabled kid go up and you know educate and talk about yourself like you're you're the disabled kid now um and obviously that's not what uh like i that's not the only way that i wanted to be identified by my peers of course so um so like and that like it's kind of awkward in that way <laughs> so um but yeah so like there were things like that. And then also uh, when it came to, for example, being with friends or dating, um, it also was uh, sometimes just a little bit difficult to have someone always with me. I mean, you can imagine, like, I had a high school boyfriend and, you know, it's like just kind of just kind of weird, you know, if we're holding hands, walking down the hallway, and then, like, right behind us, my nurse is just, like, right there. <laughs> um, and she also finds it. Uh, like it's both equally awkward she's like i don't want to look at that like you know you can do whatever um and then so but then also for like making friends and stuff again um it was just like uh sometimes my nurse didn't really my nurses didn't really understand uh just like you know the the need to want to fit in i mean obviously like I don't know. I think as a kid, it's it's easy to want to fit in. Um, and so I remember uh, I had this next door neighbor that I worked that I played baseball with um, all the time, or like we played wiffle ball. And one time, um, he like rang my doorbell and asked if I could play. Um, and at the time, I was using my humidifier, uh, which is something that I have to do um, at least for like uh, for at least an hour a day. Um, just to like uh, clear up my trach tube, especially during the winter time. Um, and uh, so I was I was on my humidifier, but I opened the door and 
uh, my friend asked me to play, and I was like, oh, hey, I'm sorry, I can't play right now. Um, I'm doing homework. Uh, and then so, like, when I went back in, my nurse was like, why did you lie to him? And I said, well, I mean, I didn't feel like explaining the whole humidifier thing to him. And she was like, you shouldn't be ashamed of who you are and stuff, which, I mean, is a valid point. Like, probably there was a, a some sense of, like, feeling a little bit shy or ashamed or, like, not wanting to bring it up. Um, but at the same time, I feel like it's sort of, like, my choice to decide how much of my disability and my just, like, everyday life and my health status that I want to share with other people. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Oh, no, it totally does. It was awesome and rambling, and it totally makes sense, and I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> no, but I think when you're a kid, like, you... And you're a disabled kid, especially, you learn to hide stuff to protect yourself, and that's what you were doing, and to have somebody be like, and I understand what, what your your nurse was saying about, like, being who you are, but, like, sometimes when you're disabled, you're like, I don't know who I am, let me just try this for a minute, and let me just see how that feels to be, to hide this. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. It's like, uh, I don't know, I, you also don't want to feel like you are, you constantly have to... I don't know, like, explain yourself or, you know, volunteer that information or expect that, like, when people ask questions or, um, e again, even, like, people who are really close to you um, or are with you all the time, that they know exactly what it's like or what you need or don't need or what you shouldn't shouldn't do. Yeah, I mean... They, um, we, we all have our own independent choices. Yeah, and people are never going to know what it's like and they're never going to know the pressure you're under and the ableism you deal with on a day-to-day -day, just trying to live. Um, you you, you t were talking earlier about dating in high school and I was giggling when you were saying that because I was just picturing you like trying to hold hands with, with a boyfriend or a partner and having like this, this, I'm picturing like a woman in scrubs like following behind you. Was that what it was like? Um, so I think my nurse at school at the time, she wore like... Uh, non scrubs. She didn't wear scrubs. She wore just like everyday clothes. Um, uh, the nurses that took me home did wear scrubs, and so, th so my home care nurses were the ones who stayed with me after school. Um, and it was like more obvious that they were nurses. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and so, like, I mean, even if they weren't wearing scrubs, though, it was still awkward. Um, a part, I think, a part of it is just like mindset like if you know that someone is following you or accompanying you um just knowing that they're nearby made me really anxious i guess um or my parents um because it's like i don't know i i just remember when i was whenever i was alone for like one or two brief moments it just felt very freeing um and like, and then the moment that I realized, oh, like I'm actually not really alone, I felt like I couldn't be myself. Um, which I mean, again, part of that is psychological to me. It's, I don't know, you can still be. I I, I felt like I could probably still might be myself, but it was just no this notion that I wasn't as independent as like I thought I was, or that other people perceived me to be. Because um, like, oftentimes my parents or my nerds would come with me to, like, field trips or, uh, or not even field trips, just, like, out to classes and stuff. And it felt really good to, um, 
be in a class by myself until I realized, like, my my parent or my nurse was, like, peering into the door, like, looking for me. <laughs> peering into the door? Oh, no. Yeah. They couldn't yeah, even like, be, like, discreet about that you were trying to, like, grow up, and then, then they are peering at the door. <laughs> yeah, and, but it's, like, it's also really conflicting because, you know, on one hand, I understood that it was, you know, for the safety, for, like, my safety and health, and there's there were definitely reasons for having a nurse there. Like, I've definitely had some close calls in terms of, like, near-death experiences where if my nurse wasn't there, like, I don't know if I would be here today, you know what I mean? So yeah. it was, like, this, um, just, like, this conflicting thing where it's, like, you know why, you know why, uh, or, like, I knew why my parents... Uh, and my parents um, and my nurses, like, had to be with me. Uh, but it was, like, a constant, I don't know, cognitive dissonance with the part of me that really wanted to be independent and to grow and to, like, you know, to make mistakes or, go, you know, yeah. to, to do things on my own. To fuck up and be a kid and also, you know, be a disabled kid. Um, which can be scary when you have, like, two near-death experiences. And I remember when we had the, our first, like, our conversation that like, got deleted, you told me these stories, and they were, like, intense. Do you want, can you share them again? Um, sorry, I'm sorry, say that one more time. Yeah, could you just share the, the, the near-death experiences you had with regards to your trick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, the one, the main one that, like, stands out in my head is, uh, the one that happened in fifth grade, where, basically, it was my nurse's very first day with me like not first day like on the job ever but her first day with me um and so uh, i i don't think she knew that what was gonna i mean no nobody knew it was gonna happen but um basically it was in december um uh like more than a decade ago and i was using this device called the passing mirror vault to help me practice speaking and like breathing through my nose and mouth um and and so i i was using that but the thing is i think it uh it dried out the mucus in my tray and so um i ended up uh like it the mucus in my tray dried up and got blocked and mm -hmm. so i remember i stood up um after using the passenger valve and i turned around and Suddenly, like my my trach was completely blocked, and I couldn't I uh, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do anything, and um just kind of like went into this entire body shock. Um, oh no! And my nurse Jean, uh, she like wheeled around from the from the supplies cabinet, saw me, um, and I was I think I was mouthing like trying to say like take it out, take the trach out or whatever, and then I like fell to the floor. Um, and I remember the last few, like, images in my head, because I was like, okay, if, if, the, if these are my last few moments, I don't, want it, I don't want them to go to waste. And so I made sure to, like, conjure up an image of my parents and my sister oh, um, and, like, wow. my, my, like, fourth grade, uh, fifth grade crush, um, <laughs> this guy anymore. <laughs> made sure to, you know, include him. Um, I love how so, in the last moments of what you thought was your life, yeah, I mean, it's the important things, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so 
like those are the last few things I remember. And then I just like completely blacked out. Um, and I think I, so I went into cardiac arrest and my nurse was like, she desperately tried to put in a new trach and because it was blocked, she had to like force it in. Um, and there was like a little bit of blood and um, she also like banged on the wall to wake up my sister, who my sister, who was upstairs taking a nap. And my sister, like, came, like, tumbling down. Um, and she was the one who called 911. And, like, I mean, by the time she got down, I think uh, Jean had already, like, forced the trach in. Um, and, and so, like, I remember when I came to, I was lying on the floor looking up. And, like, I saw my sister and I asked her if I was going to die. Um, and she was, like no, you're not going to die, Wendy. And uh, the paramedics came. Um, and I remember, like, the emerge, the paramedics just, like, wheeling me away um, into the night. Uh, and so I remember, like, that was, like, I mean, I will always remember that night. My, my, the, It also definitely shook my family as well. Um, of course. Yeah, and, uh, and so, like, after that, um, it was definitely, uh, like, that, I don't know, it just, like, freaked my family out, and anytime they heard emergency sirens, they would, um, like, it would, it would bring back memories, and so, um, yeah, that was, like, a very clear reminder and, like, visceral memory for all of us to, to realize, like, like, this is, this is why it's so important for me to be safe and healthy and to, uh, have someone with me, um, because, you know, I mean, they assisted with things like my trait care every day and helping me bathe and stuff like that. But it's like also in emergencies like that, you know, if I don't, if I didn't know how to, you know, how to like save myself, literally, then like it, it could be very fatal. Uh, uh, sorry, course. you cannot be very fatal. You can just be fatal. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> deader than dead. Um, so... Yeah, and so after that, uh, after that, um, it was it was like I'm trying to think how many years afterward. Um, but so like several years after that, I think I was in high school. Uh, yeah, I think I was in high school, or yeah, I'm pre- sorry, I'm pretty sure I was in high school um, when I had the second incident where my uh, my uh, one of my friends we were playing wiffle ball and um he accidentally knocked my drake out with a uh like a metal baseball bat oh, uh, no. and like that hurt like crap i mean can i swear on here like yeah of course. that hurt like hell um <laughs> yeah that was that was pretty bad i remember like i was standing just too close to him and um he uh yeah he like swung his bat and I felt the pain sear against my collarbone, um, oh. and and then like the trach tube was just knocked right out. And the thing is, is that like if I had been standing just a little bit, like a little bit closer to him, then it could have hit my head. You know, like I could have gotten a concussion, concussion or, yeah. or whatever. Um, so even that, I'm like really lucky, um, and so. Uh, so yeah, so that happened, um, and I remember when that happened, like, 
he like looked at me immediately and he knew something was wrong. And so did I, obviously. And I, I remember I just like turned and ran back. I mean, I, we were, this was my next door neighbor. So I wasn't far, but I think for someone who doesn't have a trach tube, running across my lawn and getting back to my house was like pretty impressive. <laughs> um, so I made it back to my house and I remember thinking like, all right, the most important thing is to be calm because if I stay calm, that means my trach, like the hole where my trach should be, won't constrict and yeah. it won't, you know, like close up because that was like the most, you know, dangerous thing. Um, and so I was able to remain calm and got back to my house and I like calmly tried to call to my dad. I was like, dad. Um, and he was upstairs and dad was like, what? And I was like, dad, Trey. And he said, <laughs> what? And then he came running down the stairs um, and uh, he saw me and then he was like, okay, all right, it's okay, it's okay. And we like, yeah, I think just like, so for some reason, like we, we were so in the moment that we, that we, um, uh, just, like started laughing almost. I would start laughing, and he, as he was like grabbing a new tray tube, and then like he helped me put it back in. Um, and then like all was fine. And I sort of think of that day as me sort of. I mean, it sounds dramatic, but like saving myself uh, because like. I, I love how I, know. I love how Sorry, all, I, the, all the drama that you're bringing. Like I love how you're like talking. I love the things you said so far about like about you thinking about your fifth grade crush as you as you were worried about like the end, and then like they wheeled you away in the night, and then <laughs> like I like how you're using all these dramatic phrases, but you're so lighthearted about what happened. Yeah, um, I think it's sort of I, I think it's sort of a defense mechanism to sort of think about it in that way. I guess I don't know. Um, uh. Yeah, and I think enough time has gone by where, you know, I have come to terms with these, like, really shocking things that happened to me, um, and I can talk about them in a sort of slightly more lighthearted way, um, and also it's sort of kind of like, that is my reality, and I've learned to live with it, and um, I mean, I feel like I'm talking about it like it was, like, I guess it was, it was pretty traumatic, but... Um, I don't know. It, I know that those incidents are a part of me and they are a part of all the things that helped me grow and become the better person that I am today. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I think also I've, I've like talked about these, uh, incidents enough to where like, I, I remember, I've, like, I still remember both of them, like it was yesterday. Um, so, uh, but yeah, um, I feel like. I was going to say something else. Uh, but yeah, so, so at, like, that was the incident where I felt like I, you know, already had started having the capability to be sort of independent or know what to do in an emergency. I sort of proved to myself that I can, like, be there for myself. Yeah, um, you, if you could, like, do this and this was, you were okay and you'd be all right. Right, exactly. Um, and it was also... Uh, like another aspect of it that was a little bit sadder was that that friend who accidentally, you know, swung my swung his baseball bat. Um, we we like never really became friends after that. Um, so oh. I mean, 
we I, we never really stayed friends after that because I think his parents. Um, I think so. Like afterwards, uh, I think his parents had him come back to like apologize. Um, when I mean, it was totally nobody's fault. Like I stood a little bit too close. He stood, you know, he swung the bat a little bit too hard or whatever. Um, and it's just one of those things that happened. Um, but I think uh, I think probably like his parents were worried that, like, I don't know, I would have been mad at him or that we were going to, like, sue him or something, um, <laughs> which totally would not have. Um, no, I no, have no, because blamed him at all. Um, but, like, yeah, it was, like, after that, I kind of lost my best friend because um, oh. it was someone that I knew since he was, like, five. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, like, we were really close and would play every single day after school. And then to not have that because of this it wasn't necessarily because i have a disability but it was like because of this you know like i guess negative in- interaction you had with me related to my disability um was like always kind of a kind of a sad thing that happened out of it yeah um, well i mean i'm sure he was a kid and he probably didn't understand that like he didn't hurt you but in his kid mind he really hurt you, and so yeah, he, probably his kid mind. He was thinking like, "Oh my god, I almost killed, I almost murdered Wendy." <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So no, those are pretty. Those are some pretty harrowing stories, and I, I, I really, the humor you bring to those is really important. And like, mm. really, like really, I was sitting there giggling at like the most inappropriate parts because of the way you delivered that. So it was, it was thank you for sharing those. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, Tell me more about dating dating boys and having a trach, and what was that like for you? Um, it was, like, fine in the sense that, like, I feel very lucky that my boyfriend in high school, I mean, I like, when I was a kid, I only had one boyfriend. It was my high school boyfriend, and we were together for four and a half years. Um, and... Like, I feel very lucky because that was, like, a long-term loving relationship with somebody who uh, just appreciated me and um, respected and cared about me, you know, not despite my disability, but, you know, including and also because of my disability. Like, he did see it as just a part of me. Yeah. That's pretty um, big for a kid in, like, 2006, right? Yeah, like, 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we dated, let me see, 2006 to 2010, uh, maybe 11. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, I, that I will always, like, be grateful for and feel really lucky that I had um, with him. Uh, and so, uh, but there were some, some, like, aspects that weren't really directly related to dating, but in terms of, like, how other guys treated me uh that were not so nice so for example um I remember like in school there are always guys who um either like made fun of me or would pretend to like me or pretend to you know like get chummy with me um or like pretend to make me feel attractive and then would laugh at their friend laugh with their friends about it so like yeah so this I remember distinctly this one guy in particular who would like make sexual gestures with his hands toward me, which I mean is gross, period. But like you would do that, you'd, you'd call my name, he'd be like, "Hey, Wendy," and I would look at, I would 
you know, look over at him and he would like make that gesture and he'd be with his friends. And when he did it, they would like, he would, he would do it and then laugh along with his friends at me. And it, was, it just felt so, um, I don't know, just like gross, so gross, so offensive. But also it was as if they were laughing at me, you know, thinking that like, you know, they're pretending to, you know, like, I'm sorry, uh, it's like, I mean, it was sexual harassment, but it was sexual harassment specifically, like, targeted because I felt like they were thinking, you know, here this, here's this little Chinese disabled girl, you know, with the trach or whatever, like, I, mean, I don't think they knew what it's called, but um, it was like, we're laughing at her because, you know, you who could ever think that a disabled girl would be attractive or would, you know, be like sexually um Viable. sexually active or yeah. whatever it might be so it was like i felt like the harassment was specifically related to my identity as a disabled woman um so that did not feel good <laughs> um people are gross sorry that yeah yeah and i i think that that definitely affected like my my like self-confidence in a way that you know, maybe feel like, oh, I don't deserve to know what sex is, or I don't, you know, I'm not worth a guy's time, or I'm not worth, you know, flirting with even. Um, I mean, even though I had, like, you know, I had a boyfriend, and we were, like, long-term and stuff, um, it was still this feeling that, like, this feeling in general that, you know, I wasn't at, like, a good cloak contender for romance and sex and stuff like that um so yeah that that wasn't great uh, but it's like in hindsight you know like in hindsight like I wish I could tell who I was back then that like the like the, the opinions of these of these guys or these people you know, don't matter in the long run, and it's just because of their their own ignorance. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, again, I feel really lucky that I did have um, a partner in like in school who did care about me and respect me for who I am, and like you know, embrace my disability. Uh, that was you know always really nice. When you were a teenager, because when I was a teenager and I liked boys, I was the most awkward, like, boo, boo, God, oh, no. Like, did you, um, were you like, hey, this is my trick, I need to breathe? Were you really open about that? Or did you find ways to, like, with this guy, with this boyfriend of yours, did you find ways to, like, make it not such a big deal, make it kind of cool, not really talk about it? I mean, like, how I talked about it with my, with my partner? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember... It's been years and years. Um, let me see. I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, I, I know for sure that I, uh, like, several years in, um, I changed my trick in front of him for the first time. And, um, and like, just to, you know, just in case I ever had an emergency, we wanted him to just know how to help me in that moment. Yep. Um, before that... I mean, again, because I had a nurse with me everywhere, you know, it wasn't like a secret that I was, that I had a disability. Um, and I know, I like, I know that we talked about it quite often, uh, quite often, or, you know, I didn't, I never, like, 
shied away from talking about it. We were both very open um, whenever I needed to do trade care or I needed to, you know, put in sailing and cough. Um, I did all of that in front of him. It wasn't, you know, there was no uh, sort of like barrier facade uh, that I felt like I needed to carry with him, which is really nice. Um, That's so great. Again, for a guy in 2006 to be like, <laughs> to be so calm about that stuff that's that's rare yeah and i think also like because i had someone with me all the time it made my parents a little more i don't know like flexible or you know they were more comfortable with us hanging out because they knew i always had someone with me and so um it was funny because we would also sometimes get a little rebellious and just like sneak off somewhere so you know if we went to youth group we would just like sneak off to like make out or you know stuff like that um which was really always like really risky but also really fun as well yeah because um, not only were you like sticking it to the man you were also running away from your nurse who was right there all the time yeah so like we would um we would just like go to the back of the building or like kiss under i don't know a tree even or something um so we would find a way to have that time to ourselves um, in whatever way possible, uh, even though, even if I needed a nurse with me, um, we, we found our ways. Uh, so that, that was fun. Um, and I would also uh, change, uh, oh, sorry, I would also skip class sometimes. Like, I would skip Jim to go to his biology class or his forensic science class. Um, and it, Part of that was because in my gym class, uh, I couldn't do a lot of the activities that they had kids do. Because so instead, it breathing and the trick, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so instead, my teacher had me like basically write essays about exercise, and oh, that was my my quote gym time. <laughs> um, an essay about all the exercises I can't do. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So like. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think in my head, I was like, fuck that. I'm going to go to Uriah's, uh, oh, sorry, I said his name. Um, uh, I'm going to go to <laughs> my boyfriend's uh, biology class and learn something there. Uh, and so, um, yeah, so, like, it was like, I don't like my class now, but also I can, like, sneak off and learn something elsewhere. <laughs> um and so, yeah, I mean, those are all really fond memories that I have of, like, being with with him in my, in my like, high school years, so. <laughs> I can't believe they made you write essays about, like, why? What are you supposed to, what was the essays about? Like, I know. What was I supposed to do with that? Like, <laughs> maybe that's an exercise with my, for my mind, uh, but not my actual body. And how would you know? Because you can't do any of the stuff they're asking you to write about. So what you're yeah, what, like, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it was just very, um, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah. How did how did all of that? How did like? Because you're also a woman of color, and and mm-hmm. I think that's important to to mention. Because how did how did all the disability stuff being a a, a woman, a person of color, and a kind of a kid who was marginalized in both those ways. How did all that stuff play out when you were a kid? Did, did any of those, like, how did your community, hand, like, deal with disability? Is the Chinese community, do you find that they're welcoming to disability? Is that something that is talked about a lot? Yeah, so that's a great question. 
I think from my personal experiences, I feel like I can't talk for, speak for like all Chinese <laughs> communities, but just like based on like my memories of growing up and stuff. Yeah. Um, from what I remember, like disability is pretty heavily stigmatized in Ch- in China, uh, just alone and um, in many, and like, yeah, in, in Chinese culture. Um, uh, and I think even the word for disability is like, very stigmatizing in of itself um and so like i think a lot of that was um like i remember constantly feeling like other people were pitying me like there was always a sense of pity for them um looking kind of like looking at me as if i uh you know as if like i oh poor this poor disabled little girl you know can't really do anything for herself um you know uh, like the term that oh, people would often use is like "kalian," which is like "oh, like poor, pitiful you." Oh um, no, it's horrible. Yeah, and so I mean that obviously that wasn't everybody, but that was often the vibe that I got. Um, and so that like that doesn't do much for one's self-esteem. No, um, obviously that's pretty. That, that doesn't help you feel confident and like like you're okay to be a kid. Yeah, and then also um, this is like more on the funny side and it's not just uh like my experiences in china but um so oftentimes I, like sorry i feel like i'm saying like a bajillion times but <laughs> anyway um oftentimes uh, i'll just be you know randomly walking in stores or going about my day um and i would have strangers come up to me and kind of like either ask me what my drink is or try to guess what it is. Um, and I, I I wrote an article for Bustle uh, a couple years ago that was basically like a list of 12 things that people have called my disability. Um, and it ranged from everything from like Darth Vader because it was heavy breathing to, um, to loud or not noticeable or, you know, a necklace. Most people think it's a necklace um, or like a fashion statement. You, um, you and mentioned that somebody called you at one point a candy dispenser. Yeah, a candy dispenser. Like that was, um, she, it was a piano teacher that I was trying to, I was like feeling out when we first moved to North Carolina. Um, and she like literally tapped on my trach. Um, what? And what? And she like tapped on it. It was like, oh, candy, yum yum. Like no, she thought that was right, but yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> it's horrible. You're not supposed to do that ever. Yeah, I know, right? Um, and so that was that was like I remember my I was with my sister and my parents. Um, just I think we were stopping there on the way back home, and my sister just lost it, and she like had to leave the room. <laughs> she thought it was hilarious. I did too. Um, and then another time when I was in China, I I was in a store, and it was um. I mean, it was, like, during the summer, so it was very hot. And these two shopkeepers thought that my trach was a, um, oh, gosh, what is it called? It's, a, like, one of those hats that has a fan on top. Oh, yeah. What is that called? Um, um, the, like a, like a, a hat that has, like, a spinny wheel that spins? Yeah. Oh, my God. There's a term a for A propeller that. hat? Yeah, a propeller hat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Oh, people. Yeah. Are... Oh yeah. It's like a propeller, a propeller hat. Um, 
or a propeller beanie. And so they thought they literally thought it was a fan to keep me cool. And <laughs> I think I okay, this sounds this is bad, but like I'm pretty sure I just purposely went along with their with them and said, yeah, that's totally what it is. And it even sprays out water, like, on the side. So, like, um, and they dumb. thought it was this latest technology um, and to, to, like, keep me cool in the summer day. Oh, no. So, People are... yeah, that, that was really funny. And how old, um, how old were you when all this was happening, the piano teacher in this? Um, piano teacher, I was definitely like around maybe nine. Um, nine, maybe nine or and she touched her trach and said, <laughs> "Yeah, I know." And then, um, and then the other, the other time, I think I, I had to have been like maybe twelve or thirteen. Um, and then the most recent appalling thing, I think it was maybe I don't know, maybe I was sixteen or seventeen, but uh, basically. We were at a dinner um, with some acquaintances that we didn't really know very well, but they just knew people that we knew. Um, and this lady who was sitting next to me, she, she like, tapped on my shoulder and asked what my trach was, and I told her, and she asked me if she could, if she could take a picture. A picture? Um, just because... And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> Um, and I think because we were with family friends, I didn't want to, you know, I felt like if I said no, I would be mean for whatever reason. Um, and so but what I was did like, she, oh, What was she yeah, going to do sure. with the picture? Was she going to show it to her? I don't know. Like, yeah. she took a picture of me, and then I think she also, like, zoomed in on the trick as well. Oh, no. Like, yeah, and I was like... Yeah, it's like, all right, re- literally reduce me to, to, nothing to than my, my trick. Okay, so I mean, yeah, that that was like more. I mean, not recent, but that was when I was a little bit older. Okay, everybody listening, that's inspiration porn. And if you come up to me and want to take a picture for no other reason than you want it, the answer will be no. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would totally say no now. I'm close, um, but as a teenager, you don't like be rude. Time, and... Yeah, it's like at the time, especially when you're caught off guard and you don't expect people to do that. You almost say yes, just out of surprise. Out of like jarring <laughs> fear of like, well, oh, okay, like all right. Yeah, it's it was very bizarre. Wow. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, if there was one thing you could say to your younger self, or a young, or another like, or another version of yourself, or the future of like of like young disabled kids. What would you want to tell them? I would tell them that. Well, okay, I, I, I think I'll probably stick to like what I would tell my younger self because um, when I, I feel like if I talk to disabled kids, I need to think about that, and I, I try really hard not to, you know, I never want to sound condescending or be like you need to do this, this, and this. Yeah. Um, so. So like if I had to talk, if I had to say something to my to my younger self, I'd probably tell her. Um, I would just tell her that she's really valuable and she's um, worthy of love and respect and care, no matter what. Um, and also, you know, that she is whole and 
uh, and worthy, not despite her disability, but also like including her disability. Um, it's a part of what makes her, um, I don't want to say like unique, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's just like, I also, I mean, I'm sure my younger self would be annoyed if I said this as well, but I mean, a part of her want, a part of me wants to tell her that everything's going to be okay. And that like, that I will make a difference, you know, and that I will make a difference. Uh, uh, and I wish I could tell her all the things that will, you know, eventually come to be, you know, I wish I could tell her that like, I'll soon be, you know, talking about my disability and sharing my stories with the world, using my talents, using my experiences with disability as a writer, you know, with my passion for journalism um, to, to do something to make a big impact. Um, like, I wish I could tell her that. Uh, I don't know if that would actually be helpful to her at the time. She'd be like, whatever. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I think uh, I think more than I think anything, I just want you know my younger self and just dis disabled kids in general to know that they're worthy of love and respect and a platform and equal rights. Um, to know that they can and should you know speak up for themselves. Um, and uh, and yeah, that's and you know full stop. Awesome, Wendy. It was so, I loved having you on. I love your stories. I love your work. This is such a pleasure. You're, you're, you are, and I mean this with all sincerity. You're one of my favorite people. Um, oh, right back at you, one hundred percent. Like, thank you so much for making this, for being on this Patreon exclusive of when I was a disabled kid. Um, Absolutely. Where can the awesome listeners get a hold of you? Yeah, um, feel free to visit my website at wendylewrites.com. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook uh, and Instagram. My handle everywhere is at wendylewrites, W-E-N-D-Y-L-U-W-R-I-T-E-S. Um, and also feel free to email me. Uh, I promise to be able to get back to you within like a few days. Um, so it's wendylewrites at gmail.com if you have questions or if you have story ideas, wink, um, or just anything else, if you want to chat, uh, I'm happy to to talk to anybody. I will be hitting you up because we should collaborate on something together somewhere. I don't know. Um, yes, please do. That would be great. Wendy, you're such a pleasure, and we will talk to you so soon. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right, friends. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed that bonus episode of when I was a disabled kid with my guest, Wendy Liu. If you're listening and you want to be on the show within this show, and you want to be on When I Was a Disabled Kid, or you want to be on Disability After Dark, you can email me directly at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Let me know you want to be a guest, and we'll set that up and get you get you on either one of the show, or both, maybe. Who knows? Um, also, just some housekeeping stuff before I forget. Disability After Dark will be moving from from Fridays to Tuesdays in the new year. I want to see if that will change our metrics and get our numbers up there. If you're loving the show, as I know so many of you are, if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Apple or whatever uh, whatever podcast platform you you subscribe to, that would be great. Um, you can also follow 
my work at at Andrew Gerza on Twitter. I'll be on there a lot more because of the, the social media crackdown on sexuality and disability stuff. So follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. I hope you enjoy this bonus episode. And I'll be doing more of these surprise Beyonce moments throughout 2019. Thanks for listening. Talk soon. Bye.